0: Hello, and welcome to the Why Podcast from Think at London Business School, in which faculty talk about their research and what it means for you, business and society. I'm your host, Zoe Stumpf, and for this episode, my guest is John Mullins. John is Associate Professor of Management Practice at London Business School. He's a best-selling author of three books aimed at entrepreneurs and those who finance or support them. He's also a veteran of three entrepreneurial startups. John's here to talk about his newest book called Break the Rules: The Six Counter-Conventional Mindsets of Entrepreneurs That Can Help Anyone Change the World. This book challenges some commonly held views and reveals what it is that makes entrepreneurs behave differently from your average business person. It's refreshing in that it doesn't just focus on theory, but provides practical advice for anyone wanting to master these mindsets and make them their own. John, Welcome to the Why Podcast. It's great to get the opportunity to talk to you about your new book. Can I start by asking you about what inspired you to write this book and why now?
1: That's two questions, uh, Zoe. I think what inspired me to write the book was was a, a, a dawning of the realization that I had that entrepreneurs are fundamentally different people than other successful business people. But the research that was done into that question a long, long time ago couldn't find out what the differences were. And yet I'd seen them and I'd lived them and I'd uh, and, and I knew they were there. So I set about to figure out, well, can I find what those differences are? So that's what I set out to do. I did that a couple of years ago. Why did I do it then? I don't know exactly. But it's one of those things, a question gets into your mind and you say, hmm wouldn't it be nice if I could answer that question? And so I set out to do so.
0: So do you think now is a good time to be an entrepreneur? Uh,
1: yeah. So when I set out on this journey, you know, a couple of years ago, little did I know the, the state that the world would be in today. And as we now launch this book in early 2023, uh, there's all this talk of recession. Are we in one? Is it coming? Is it not? We don't know. But along with all of this concern that we've had coming out of the pandemic is a growing realization in many companies that they need to find a way to become more entrepreneurial and they need to find people who can work in more entrepreneurial fashion. Uh, so it seems the timing has turned out to be pretty good. So that's the perspective from a big company point of view. In terms of becoming an entrepreneur, uh Many people are thinking about this time as a great time to become an entrepreneur for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a long history of companies, fantastic companies, that have started in the depths of recession or in other kinds of global crises. Uh, Google started in the face of the the global oil embargo. Hewlett-Packard got started in 1939 at the end of the Great uh, Depression. Airbnb started in 2008 when the two co-founders couldn't scrape together enough money to pay their rent. So there's a long history of companies, great companies getting started in tough times. And and there are a couple of reasons, I think, why that turns out to be a good idea. One of them is that in tough times, big companies kind of pull in their horns. Uh, They cut costs, and and, uh, that leaves opportunity for for entrepreneurs to fill in the gaps that the big companies are now pursuing. Um, second, that means that resources, be they people or, or goods, become um, both more plentiful and more affordable. That's good for an entrepreneur who's trying to pull together the resources he or she needs to get a business started. And then lastly, uh, people who are who are working in a big company in the face of the kind of uh, global conditions we, we face now are saying, well, you know what? I might not get promoted anytime soon. Maybe this is a good time to go out on my own and do that thing that I've kind of had in the back of my head for a long time. So is this a good time to be coming an entrepreneur? I think it's a fantastic time to do that.
0: Brilliant. So, so John, you talk about six mindsets in the book. So what do you mean by mindsets?
1: What's a mindset? A mindset is the, the set of attitudes or habits that we have in our minds that we use to connect what we observe around us, uh, circumstances we come in contact with or, or situations we find ourselves in that connects those habits or attitudes with how we react to those situations, what we actually do in the world. So mindsets are kind of the glue that, that connect what we see and observe with how we respond to what we see and observe. And what I found, uh, you know, based on, on 20 years of case study research, is that these six mindsets are fundamentally different than the way, frankly, we teach our students at London Business School to behave in some kind of circumstances. And they're quite different from the way big companies have long been, been taught to, uh, to respond to the world around them.
0: Could you give me an example of one
1: of the mindsets? Sure. So one of the things that that business people have have been taught for many years is that companies that are that want to be successful should do two things. Number one, they should stick to their knitting and and that means stay focused on what they do best and not get carried away with uh, bright and shiny things that that look a little different. Uh, and relatedly, we should build on our core competencies, figure out those things that we're really good at. So Honda, for example, is really good at small engine technology and has been for years. Honda Honda has stayed focused on that small engine technology and built all kinds of product ranges uh, based on that core competency as it's called. And we've, we've taught businesses that that's what they need to do, embrace their core competencies, build on them uh, and stick to your knitting well entrepreneurs when they come across a bright and shiny thing that looks like it might take them to a better place than they're headed now don't worry about those two things they they when, when a customer comes and says well can you do this for me uh, the entrepreneur says yes i can do that and then they go holy cow how the hell am i going to deliver on what i just told that customer i can do so so let me let me give you an example there's a guy in Brazil, on whose company I wrote a case study some years ago, his name is Arnold Correa, and he he had a, a events business. He managed events, and originally he did that for consumers, uh, running fancy uh, Sunday parties called Doming in in uh, Sao Paulo. Um, he, he then took that expertise and built an events management business for corporate clients like McDonald's and Walmart and other other big Brazilian companies, he was uh, managing an event one day and the person who was supposed to do the video didn't show up. Um, And Walmart, whose event it was, asked him, can you can you do the video? And Arnold said, Yeah, sure, we can do the video. And then he had to find somebody who could do that because he'd never done that. And it turns out he, he found somebody in a cemetery because it was the Day of the Dead, a religious holiday in Brazil. Long story short, Correa did that three times. Somebody asked him to do something. He said, sure, we can do that. And then, and then he figured out how. He, he had to go find new resources that he didn't have that sometimes turned out to be different people. Uh, he, he had to bring in expertise and competencies that his company didn't then have, but he didn't shy away from it. That's the point here. The entrepreneur says, "Yeah, I can do that," and then you figure out how. Wh- where the the larger company is more prone to say, "No, that's not we. That's not what we do around here. We're not going to do that."
0: So, so as you've explained very eloquently, um, this kind of of behavior. Is is very much counter to the kind of accepted norms of business. So, do people actually have to unlearn existing behaviors in order to embrace the mindsets that you're you're describing?
1: Good question, Zoe. I think in some cases, yeah, they do. So, so this notion of of having to stick to your knitting, you probably have to unlearn that. Um, but but not all of the mindsets. Uh, Necessarily have that. Another one is, for example, that entrepreneurs tend to think very narrowly about their product markets, whereas big companies, when uh, when presented with an opportunity to do something new, ask the question, "Well, is this going to be big enough? Will it move our needle?" They don't. They don't want to do little things. Uh, when Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman started the company that became Nike, they weren't worried about whether their opportunity to build better running shoes for distance runners, elite distance runners who could run four-minute miles. They weren't worried about the fact there weren't many four-minute milers. Their, uh, their goal was find, find a problem to solve. And if we can solve that problem really well in a very narrow target market, we're going to learn some things. And, and once we've learned those things, well, th- then we can do some other things. And of course, today, Nike's the global leader in athletic footwear. They went from distance runners to all runners, to tennis, to basketball, and on and on and on. But again, not worrying about that initial foray into whether that market's large enough to move the needle. Entrepreneurs don't care about that, at least not at the outset.
0: So what are, what are some of the other key takeaways from your book?
1: Well, well I think
0: one of the key, key
1: takeaways is that each of these six mindsets can be taught and can be learned. None of them is rocket science. It's a matter of saying, gee, do I want to learn to think and act entrepreneurially? And if so, which of these six mindsets can I apply to a circumstance in which I find myself today or tomorrow? So, so, so I think that's the biggest takeaway that there's, there's no reason why Why anyone who wants to be more entrepreneurial can't take these mindsets, see how others have applied them, find an opportunity to apply them in their own life, and then move ahead. And by the way, you don't have to apply all six of them. In a, in a sample of a hundred and some entrepreneurs in the quantitative part of the research I did, uh, I asked them how many of these mindsets characterize your your career to date? These are entrepreneurs running very fast-growing companies, and the main answer was 3.4. So, they don't do all of them all of the time, but they are circumstantial, and when the right conditions arise, then one of these mindsets often can come into play.
0: So, given the kind of straightened economic times that we're living through at the moment, is there um, a mindset that... that- comes to the fore that maybe is more important than than it has been in, in easier economic times?
1: Yeah, I think there's one that's going to perhaps be particularly relevant now. And and I call it beg, borrow, but don't steal. Um, and, and the notion is, well, let's give the big company background. The big company background is that when there's something new that, that perhaps is to be done. What you do is you figure out how much investment it's going to take. You know, Do you have to have new people or build a factory or whatever it is? Um, and and then you do some forecasts, and you look and see whether the cash flows are sufficient to pay off that investment at an acceptable rate of return. That's kind of business school finance 101. Well, entrepreneurs, when faced with a chance to do something new, often say, well, can I find those resources uh, without paying for them, or at least not paying for them in advance. So they, they borrow those resources. So um, for example, the, the second of my entrepreneurial ventures was a business called Pasta Via. We built a, a chain of fresh pasta stores in Denver and Chicago in the US. And, and when we set out on that journey, we said, well, we, we don't want to build a commercial kitchen because that's going to be very costly. And maybe we can find a commercial kitchen that's vacant at night and we can borrow that kitchen. And that's exactly what we did. We didn't build our own kitchen until we had proven that the customer demand was there. So entrepreneurs often d- don't invest upfront. They, they beg and, and borrow the assets. And uh, in times like these, that's maybe gonna be particularly important because assets are gonna be available, right?
0: So, so I'm really interested in the kind of research process that you went through for this and, and how just how you managed to distill all the research that you've done and all of your knowledge of, you know, running your own entrepreneurial businesses into these six mindsets.
1: I think that research process has spanned a very long time. When I left the world of business and decided to become a professor, one of the things I decided also at that time was that I was going to be a case teacher because the, the best uh, experience I'd had in business school at Stanford years ago had been in my case-driven classes. So I said, I'm going to learn to do that. And ultimately, I decided I'm going to learn to write my own cases because if I understand the company intimately, I'm going to be able to bring more to my classroom than just just a, a typical session brings. So I began writing cases a long time ago, and by now I've written about 50 of them, and and that's given me sort of a ringside seat into the granular details of what these entrepreneurial journeys are like. And and so having done that over and over and over again and then having spent time in classrooms now with probably a couple of thousand entrepreneurs from organizations like YPO and EO, I'd begun to see some patterns. And so when I asked myself a couple of years ago, can I figure out what these differences really are? I was able to go back and look at this body of case research I had done over 20-some years, and begin to see those patterns and say, ah, there's one, there's another one. Here, here's, here are a couple of examples where somebody's thinking narrowly, not broadly. Here are some examples where, where entrepreneurs are thinking about problems first, not products first. So that's another of the mindsets. Big companies are always uh, you know, tinkering with their product line. We're in the detergent we use at home, you know, they add green speckles and then they take them out and then they say it smells better and then they add water to it so it pours and so on. They're always fiddling with the product. Well, why are you fiddling with a product that works fine? Why don't you go find another problem that a customer has that you can solve? That's another of the six mindsets. So I began to see these patterns and, um, and when I found six of them, I said, you know, there needs to be a way that i can i can tell these stories to the world because more people than are than are using these these patterns today these mindsets more people need to employ these mindsets we need a book to tell the story here and and that's how i got there
0: and have you have you tested this thinking with entrepreneurs have have a group of people already had a chance to engage with your thinking and and apply it to their own circumstances
1: it was a short answer. Yes. Longer answer. I, I did a talk at a conference a couple of months ago called the Innovation Roundtable, which was a bunch of innovation types from big companies. And these are the people who are trying to drag their slow moving companies into the 21st century and get them to be more more innovative, more entrepreneurial. And it was interesting just seeing the light bulbs go off in the audience as I talked through these ideas. And there were a couple of other speakers uh, at the same conference who came up to me afterwards and, and, and said, John, the, these six things resonate with what we see in entrepreneurs that we're trying to bring to big companies as well. But you've put them so succinctly and, and so clearly. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of resonance of these ideas. And of course, I'm finding lots of entrepreneurs that tell me stories about how they apply one or more of them every day.
0: And, and what would you say if you were applying this thinking to your own entrepreneurial experience? Would you say that you were more likely to leverage the three point something that you, you described earlier on in this conversation of the mindsets? Did you manage to use all of them effectively? at different times?
1: It's a good question. Uh, Certainly, we borrowed assets at the outset to get Pasta Villa going. When I worked for Gap in my uh, earlier larger business career, one of the things we figured out how to do at Gap what when we when we we're faced with a real challenge to win the foot race for the best shopping mall locations in the. US, we figured out how we could get our vendors to finance that growth by telling our vendors, we don't want to pay you in 30 day t- t- terms. We want these were our key vendors. We'd like to pay you in 90 days. And what we're going to do is we're going to open new gap stores. Only at four times of the year, the four during the right in front of the four peak seasons for the apparel business, you know, Easter, uh, back to school and Christmas. Those are the big ones. And and there was another smaller peak. And we said we're going to only open stores at those times. And we realized that if we could get 90 day terms on the inventory in those new stores, by the time we had to pay for that inventory, we would have done enough business in that new store to cover the cost of all the inventory and to cover the cost of building out the new store, so that was an example, uh, again of asking for the cash and then riding that float. and And we we won that foot race with a competitor called County Seat, which uh, kind of disappeared, and and we were the winners. So, so yeah, I've I've applied that one. I've begged and borrowed. I haven't stolen assets. Uh, I didn't come across an opportunity in my own career to ask for permission or to, or to avoid asking for permission. So one of the, one of the things that entrepreneurs do when, when the, the, the legal context might be ambiguous is they just plow ahead. They, they don't go ask a bunch of lawyers, uh, can I do this, and, and get a kind of maybe answer. They just plow ahead. So one of the stories I tell in the book based on a case study I developed earlier, is about Team Lease, which today is one of the largest temporary help uh, companies in India. Back in 2003, that that industry was a mom and pop industry uh, and was not professional. And the two founders of that business said, you know, we need to bring world-class temp sourcing to India because that's going to put a lot of people to work. And India, more than anything else, needs jobs. Well, they did that. Uh, their Their lawyer told them, you might go to jail, but they said, "Well, we're not going to worry about that. and And they crafted a, a very inventive strategy uh, that, in short, put them at the forefront of labor market reform in India. And they went out front and and took the high road and said, we're going to we're going build a business. Yes, this is going to break some laws, but it's going to do really good things for India. And they've put three million people to work in India. Uh, over the last 20 or so years. So 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 that's another one. That's, that's not my example. I haven't done that one. But I think I've done all the others. I've thought narrowly, not broadly about target markets. I've focused on problems, not products. Uh, and when a customer has said, uh, you know, can you do something? Yeah, we can do that. And then we figured out how.
0: So we've talked a lot about entrepreneurs and their experience how do you think this can help people in business people in larger companies as well as people starting up a, a new company
1: i think in large companies there's a real a real need to adopt a more more entrepreneurial more agile mindset and these are six very particular learnable things these six mindsets that people in big companies can learn to do and can apply. Perhaps not the uh, ask permission, don't ask permission and beg forgiveness later. That's probably not gonna go over very well in a big company, but the other five are are easily applied. And at a, at a conference I, I spoke to uh, a little while ago, we did a workshop session and, in which we asked these uh, big business people to figure out which one of the mindsets they could apply to a, a situation they face now in their company. And everybody came up with a couple of, at least a couple of examples of, yeah, I can put that to work right now. And, and you know, companies aren't gonna become more entrepreneurial overnight. They're not gonna change the entire culture of their companies very easily. But as I, as I say to people in big businesses, you don't have to change the whole culture. All you have to do is take your little part of the business and say, I'm in charge of this part of the business. If I can put these mindsets to work in my part of the business and teach my people to do that, over time, we're going we're to kind of infect the, 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 uh, the company with the success of this kind of thinking and acting, and it can grow. Fantastic.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. So so what are the, the biggest learnings that you'd like people to take away from your book?
1: I think the biggest learning is that you, too, can become more entrepreneurial if you want to be not everybody wants to be so sometimes people ask us can we do, can we really teach people to be entrepreneurs because we we do a lot of that at leather business school and and i think our answer is no we can't take a random person who's walking by the door of the school and bring them in dip them in the secret sauce and and send them out as an entrepreneur. But I think what we can do is give people who want to be more entrepreneurial, want to make a difference in the world and make the world a better place in, or at least their corner of the world, a better place in some way. I think we can give those people tools and the tools to help them do that more quickly, more effectively with fewer resources and so on. And I think these six mindsets are a key part of that toolkit. So I guess the big takeaway for me in writing this book is that if, if we can get people in companies everywhere to just adopt one or two of these mindsets when they see an opportunity to do so, we can change the world.
0: Thank you, John. What a lovely way to end our conversation. Um, it's been really wonderful to speak to you. Thank you so much for all your insights. And I wish you all the very best with this new book.
1: Thank you, Zoe. It's been a pleasure.
0: The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team at Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes or find us on iTunes or Spotify. For more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get updates on our latest publications direct to your inbox. If you'd like to find more about John and his work, check out the faculty profile section on london.edu. Finally, don't forget to leave us a review or rating, which helps new listeners to find us. Thank you for listening.